I've been asking you to get in touch about your experiences of life under this horrible pandemic that we've been going through. That could be something very, very sad, and goodness knows we've had a lot of those stories over the past 18 months or so. Or it could be something more uplifting in how the pandemic has impacted on you. Sue Stewart got in touch with me via email. Take a note, jpdevlin at me.com. Sue wanted to tell me about how, on reflection, the pandemic has brought with it a kind of a positive twist to a very sad experience. Like everybody else, it came out of the blue and knocked us for six. But looking back now, the pandemic has actually helped me personally cope with an unimaginable personal tragedy. I lost my son right at the start of the pandemic, beginning of March 2020. But during the pandemic, and particularly in the last six months, I have realized that had Alexander, my son, survived his illness and what he went through, life now would have been unimaginable for him, both physically and emotionally, mentally. And whilst I would give anything in the world to have my son back, I would want my son who was fit and healthy, loving life to the full not the son who in the pandemic would have been scared, frightened of dying, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. He would have been, he, he just would not have coped. So tell me what happened, Alexander? He was diagnosed very suddenly in November 19 with acute myeloid leukemia. He'd been ill for a few weeks, but it was late for the GPs to actually act on his diagnosis. So by the time he was admitted to hospital in November 19, he was actually very, very poorly and had to start chemotherapy immediately. He came out of hospital very briefly in December, went back 29th of December for another round of chemotherapy. And whilst he was recovering from that chemotherapy, he picked up an infection, which resulted in him going into intensive care for, it was nearly six weeks. He was in intensive care unit, three weeks of which he was fully intubated. And then the infection became so severe that the consultants who were absolutely incredible made it clear that if there was a remote chance of him recovering from the infection, he would then have to fight the leukemia. We'd almost forgotten about the leukemia, but the damage at that point to his lungs and to his body was so extreme that there was no way he would recover. And we had to make the decision to let him go. So tell me a bit about him. What age was he and what kind of a guy was he? Alexander was 31. Big, fun-loving, outdoor-loving guy. He was engaged. He'd got two little girls, age six and one, who he loved dearly. The year before he was diagnosed, he'd bought his house for the first time. And he loved the simple things in life. 
you know, a day with the family out in the fields, in the woods. That was his ideal day out. He never wanted for material things. You know, I remember the day he bought his house. He got to his house and he rang the doorbell and he kept ringing the doorbell and he said, Mum, I've never had a doorbell before. And I had to say, son, you've never had a house before, you know. But that was Alexander. He, he, he liked the simple things, you know. Yeah. So COVID arrived on the scene at the beginning of 2020. When it first appeared, what stage was Alexander at at that point? Alex was already in intensive care unit, having some assistance with his breathing. And his consultant said, you know, try and divert his attention, let him watch some television. And suddenly the television became more and more about what was happening overseas. It then got the day Alexander died, the consultant said, we may have to test Alexander for COVID because we're testing all respiratory patients now. And then within a week after Alexander dying, it was just prevalent everywhere, you know. So at this point in the UK, COVID was beginning to be recognised and taken seriously. Were you becoming aware of this looming health threat? Yes, because there were things starting to happen. So, you know, if someone's in intensive care, you have to take a lot of precautions with regards to sanitising your hands and everything like that. The ICU nurses, one of them said that there were more people coming to intensive care. And I think it was with hindsight you thought, could that have been early COVID? I don't know. But you, you were aware of it in the headlines but you know we weren't wearing face masks or anything like that i don't think anybody at that point realized just how long it would take and how massive it was going to be but he never saw what it was going to become he avoided that by about a week i would guess do you think that was a good thing yes because I understand a lot more now about what happens in ICU and anxiety is a massive issue for patients in ICU, regardless of what's going on in the outside world. And Alexander had become anxious. He'd spent a long time in intensive care and his anxiety had really risen to a level that at one point I found that almost as hard to deal with as his physical condition. He'd never knew he was dying. Alexander never knew he was dying. And so when they anaesthetized him for the last time, he thought he was just having an experimental camera down uh, his, his throat. And he never was brought back from that sleep. So Alexander was expecting to awake in the next half an hour or what have you and me still be there. So he never knew he was dying. If he'd seen more and more of what was happening in the outside world he would have started to piece it together and think my lungs are totally messed up from this disease what's going to happen because he knew he was going to have to have stem cell tra uh, transplant probably in the April that was already going to be postponed because of the state of his lungs he would have started to think actually if I get better what on earth is going to happen in the future in terms of protecting himself against COVID. How did you feel when for that last time he was put under the anaesthetic for what he thought was just a simple procedure? 
it was very difficult because much as I wanted to hold him, because I think at the back of my mind, I knew this might be the last time. You didn't. I just said, I'll see you in a, in half an hour, Alex, or what have you. Um, because that's what he needed to hear. Yeah. We made his funeral plans the week after he died and we'd ordered a hundred orders of service. And then it became apparent in the three weeks between Alex dying and the funeral that things were rapidly changing. And we got told, you're going to have to reduce the numbers. And in fact, his funeral was the 24th of March. And we sat in a hotel room on the 23rd when Boris Johnson announced the first lockdown, thinking that we're actually going to be able to attend this funeral tomorrow. We were allowed to have the funeral, but we had to have less than 20 people and we had to sit in bubbles. So I couldn't sit with my mum and my sister, for example. I couldn't sit with my granddaughter. And for some reason, we didn't have to wear masks, but we had to wear plastic gloves, which <laughs> that really upset my granddaughter. She was fine until they talked about the plastic gloves. It was so intimate, so special because it was just those immediately close to him there that the hardest part was driving home afterwards so I drove home with my partner my son and his girlfriend my mum and my sister drove off in another car my brother drove off home on his own that was that was the hard part that was the hard part because we were immediately in lockdown that day so yeah I remember a neighbour lady who died and seeing the hearse with the coffin in the in the back and another car with the immediate family just in their own bubble heading off to the to the cemetery and you know being back in a, a very short time later uh, and that was it that was all there was to it it was uh, yeah terrible time yeah and do you know if alexander had survived maybe another week or even two we would have had the restricted visiting. He would have been in hospital on his own. If he'd gone into rehabilitation, he would have been on his own. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm part of the saddest Facebook group, which is bereaved parents. And some of those people have seen their children on their own in hospital saying goodbye via Zoom or what have you, you know, WhatsApp calls. I mean, he had all of us with him when he died. Um, we were all there when he died. So the thought of not of him being in hospital on his own, dying, can't even contemplate what that must be like for people. Yeah, and things got a lot worse because visitors weren't allowed in hospitals and people were dying alone in hospitals without family or friends uh, near them. You were lucky, though, because as a family, you were there for the last moments. Yeah, we were all with him and we'd been prepared by the consultants. And he had a very eclectic taste in musical from like Slipknot and Dream Day to he loved the musicals. And we all said straight away, oh, Sherry Baby from the Jersey Boys. So you've got this very surreal, we were, in a, we were in a side room, this very surreal moment where Sherry Baby 
blasted out across the whole of the intensive care unit. And that's how we said goodbye to Alexander playing Sherry Baby by the Jersey Boys. Um, so, you know, had it been delayed by a week or two, we would have not had that. Yeah. That's what's happened for uh, a lot of people. That's how uh, a lot of people look back on the deaths of loved ones over the pandemic, and uh, particularly in those early days. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds so selfish to say that actually the pandemic has helped me cope, but it has. How? Because had Alexander survived, he would have not survived in the pandemic world and so it gives me comfort that alexander died in peace and without fear whereas the pandemic would have made him he would have been isolated and i wouldn't have coped i wouldn't have even been able to see him but your natural instinct as a mother or a parent is to protect your child and to some extent, by allowing him to go when he did, we protected him from unknown suffering that he would have gone through during the pandemic and would still be going through now, you know. How did lockdown help with the grieving process or did it? This is, this is a subject of debate because my youngest son and his girlfriend the night it was announced we were going into lockdown, which was the day of Alexander's funeral, made the quick decision that they were going to come and live with us for this lockdown, which we thought would be two or three weeks. <laughs> so they made the decision that they would come and live with us. So I was, I was so fortunate because the other person who potentially was closest to my grief was my youngest son. And I was with him 24-7 for the whole of that lockdown until late June, you know. And initially it wasn't easy because we were both grieving. You'd got that anger. But then as time went on, we talked about Alexander. So for me, having my son with me, which wouldn't have happened if we weren't in lockdown, that was, that was really important, really important. In a way, lockdown might have helped with the grieving process. I think for me, it did to some extent. Talking about Alexander has been really important. And that, I think, was what was so valuable during that lockdown. We talked about Alexander all the time. Um, and it, it, it has almost, it's almost like the time scale has been... It, it's matched that grieving process and don't get me wrong you know it, it is life-changing but you learn to live without his physical presence he's always with me but he's just not physically with me I suppose when you look at the pandemic and most of us have very negative thoughts about it but for you regarding what happened to Alexander there's a kind of a positive twist to it in that he wasn't around for it. Yeah, and given how poorly Alexander was, and he was extremely ill, you know, chances are the stem cell transplant would have been postponed. 
his immune system would not have coped. He would have either have died of something else or he would have caught COVID. Alexander is no, not a COVID statistic. And I grieve for every single person in the world who's lost one or more close people to COVID. I didn't lose my son to COVID. He's not just another number on a dashboard that's just pumped out. He's, he's not, no. When this is all over and years down the line, we look back at the famous pandemic of 2020, 2021, and maybe even beyond, how will you reflect on it, do you think? I think, I mean, you know, something as traumatic as this, God, it gives you a sense of perspective, you know. So I'll look back at all those people who queued to buy toilet rolls or are now panicking because they might not get a turkey for Christmas. I'll look back. I, I don't know if you've ever watched Afterlife the Ricky Gervais series. I feel a bit like him when he says, the worst thing that can happen to me has, so I can do whatever I like. And I feel a bit like that. I feel I'm almost Teflon now, you know? So looking back at the pandemic, if I can't fill the car with petrol, so what? If I can't buy toilet rolls, I'll find something else. If I don't have a turkey, thank God, because I don't like turkey. But you know, it teaches you a real sense of perspective. And I think when people, like you say, in years to come, will look back and talk about the great pandemic, like the plague or what have you, I'll actually look back and think, because of something so horrendous, it personally helped me cope with my own personal tragedy. Yeah. Thanks for listening and thanks to Sue for taking part. And if you've got a story you'd like to tell me, you can email me jpdevlin at me.com. And until the next time, I'll see you then.